Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. So good to be with you. And today is a part two of 10 Distinctives of Emotionally Healthy Preaching. 10 Distinctives of Emotionally Healthy Preaching, part two. And uh, I'm, you, I'm doing these 10 distinctives around 10 questions that I ask myself uh, or others uh, who come to me about preaching. And I think these 10 questions, I believe, guide us to ensure that we're making room for God and his work of transformation in us and the preaching process. And then as well, uh, so that preaching ensures that preaching is leading to transformation in other people as well. And I, I think, again, it, it brings out some of the unique distinctives and contributions of EH discipleship and leadership to the preaching process. So uh, I dealt with five last week uh, in my preaching for Jesus out of my life with him, number one, in my presence to myself and to people in the room seeing them as thou's, not it's? Am I allowing the text to intersect with my family of origin and culture? Am I preaching out of vulnerability and weakness? Uh, and am I allowing the text to transform me? So that was last week. Uh, and I did fail to mention that, you know, there is on our website uh, sermons, uh, hundreds of them. And I want to encourage you to go check them out and I'll talk about them towards the end of the message. All right, so I want to talk about these final five questions and then make a few closing comments. I realize I have four that I really want to talk about uh, after these five final questions. So number six, uh, distinctive of EH preaching is this. Am I surrendering to Christ's process of birth, death, and resurrection? Am I surrendering to Jesus's process of birth, death, and resurrection? Preaching has a process. And uh, my discovery in, that in preaching is that we follow that Paschal mystery. That, In other words, we follow the life of Jesus as we birth every sermon. We start with a birth. We get excited about our topic. We're ready to dive in, and, and we're there, and you know, revelation's coming. And uh, if I can space it out in the week, Monday, Tuesday, we're all excited. This is going to be the best sermon I ever preached. But by Wednesday, uh, very often I end up in, this is a disaster. I don't know where I'm going, and I'm in death. Uh, and uh, then as I struggle and it's kind of the struggle and burial and boom at some point comes by God's grace a resurrection, hopefully by Sunday morning. Now, I love commentaries. I've never written one. And I appreciate people whose ministry is to do that kind of scholarship and work for us. Uh, and I, 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 I've, I use them. But a commentary can never give you a, a revelation for you. In other words, if a line grabs you out of a commentary and it becomes a revelation for you, that's that's great. Commentaries can't bring that. They have, a, they have a different study purpose for the most part. And, and in other words, in our preparation, it's the Holy Spirit in the midst of our study who ignites that study. But as we wait on the Lord and listen to him around texts, it, 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 he God comes to us. He comes unexpectedly. I, I have found that I, I can do all this study and suddenly I'm in, I'm in traffic in my car and it's like, oh my gosh. And I, I begin to see, I see it. Uh, and then there's boom a resurrection that I can kind of build from there. But the process of birth, de death, and resurrection around sermons, I, I've tried to force it and control it. Uh, I, I think I finally came to a place and I recognized it uh, and understood it, and it really served my preaching process and my preparation. Birthing anything is painful, uh, and preaching is a high calling. Uh, it's not for the faint of heart because it ha the message has to pass through our lives first. And then there is the putting it in a coherent way and editing and cutting and tightening it. And 
I mean, in some sense, a sermon is never, quote, finished. Uh, and we always end up, I, I feel like I, I, I do this work and, I, you know, I'm trying to be a good steward of my gift. And I got these few loaves and fishes, but it's ultimately I, oh, I end up bringing it into the, into the hands of God. That, Lord, you would take this in the end and, and feed people, you know, from heaven far beyond anything I was able to do in my own preparation. I would say in my 26 years of preaching regularly, I've had three sermons maybe or less come to me easy. I mean, three. That it just like, boom, it just came to me. And I just saw the outline structure. It was revelation to me. Boom, boom, boom. I mean, maybe twice. I actually might, right now, as I'm speaking to you, I can think of one. Uh, and uh, it was wonderful. I said, God, if you could do this every week, uh, you know, I'll preach until the day I die. And, and uh, So anyway, but I, I, I just want to encourage you that most, most preachers I know uh, find that to be true. Am I, so the question isn't EH discipleship. Am I surrendering to God's process of birth, death, and resurrection? Because it's painful and it forces you to be broken and wait and very prayerful uh, before the Lord. Number seven question to ask as a seventh distinctive of a EH preaching is this. Am I, taking, am I making time to think through clear, specific applications? Am I making time to think through clear, specific applications? This is an area I faltered in, failed at, especially in my early years. It takes a lot of time and a lot of work to make clear, specific applications. And I just didn't leave time for it in the beginning. I spent all my time in exegesis, praying for people, but not enough actually proportionally to bring it home to people. And the more general your application is, the less transformational your sermon will be, the message will be. But again, to think through it, it takes a lot of work and time. Most of us do it at the last minute. I'm talking about this, for example. You're thinking through who's sitting there, who are you speaking to? Uh, what's the age group? Uh, again, you think you have 13 to 17 year olds, maybe you're in the audience and, and uh, some young, young adults, some students in their 20s and 30s, maybe folks in 40s and 50s, maybe some seniors in their late 60s, 70s and 80s and 90s. And, and what are the things they're walking, how does that text intersect with them and what they're walking through today? And that's why it's important to talk to people along the way. And, and, and then I, I like to think of specific people. Uh, and in our case, in our context here and Queens, New York, I was thinking of people from different countries and immigrants and recent arrivals and different races and cultures. And I was talking with someone the other day who's, who, uh, a mom and her husband and three teenage children moved in with their, uh, with his, her mom for the last two years to save money to eventually buy a house, but living in a one bedroom, five of them. And then, you know, their parents were sleeping in the living room, which just like, to know your people and where they're living and then to bring a text to them, maybe not using them by name, obviously, the situation, but but you're able to ponder the, the text and apply it to those situations. What does it mean to have faith? Uh, or again, what are people's life situations? Whether it be a young family with two or three children under 10 or teenagers or young adults who are single and singles are on the whole gamut from you know 17 to 25 year olds to, to 80 year olds. Uh, and so we're always doing cultural exegesis in a sense. I, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm doing a lot of work right now in Generation Zs, the, you know, to 16 to 23 year olds and reading and talking with them as we're bringing the discipleship course to churches. And to me, every new generation is like going into another country because they're very, they're different than millennials. Uh, 
And again, you got people in the audience who are new Christians and seekers. You've got folks who are more mature. You've got leaders. You've got people who have been Christians for 30, 40 years, maybe folks longer than you. But that's, that's the beauty and the power of a local church community. I, you know, I love the local church. I love the word local uh, they're, 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 because it, you know the people and their stories and their history. And uh, it just enables you, if you'll take the time before God and thoughtfully and asking questions and thinking and chatting with people, uh, to really bring that text powerfully to people. And again, the greatest mistake I see, one of the greatest mistakes I see is that uh, preachers do not give enough time to this. And uh, more, most of the time is spent on structure and introductions and study. And uh, I, I really owe it to Jerry, uh, who really taught me this, I mean, practically, because she would just come to me week after week after week in the early years. And and I, I would be so excited about a sermon. I'd say, Jerry, let me, let me bounce it off you. And and then I would talk to her, maybe over dinner about it, and and I would be all excited. And, and she said, she said, I know you're in the heavenlies, Pete, but what does it mean for me now? You know, and uh, it, was, it was always kind of a very grounding question for me. And because uh, I love being in the heavenlies, I, I love theology. And so, all right, that's number seven. I'm making time to think through clear, specific application. Now, number eight is is slightly different, but it's related. And that's this: the eighth distinctive is: Am I thinking through the complexities and nuances? of my topic and audience? Am I thinking through the complexities and nuances of my topic and audience? Because a great thrust of uh, EH discipleship is, is seeing people, really seeing them as unique, unrepeatable, made in God's image with a story. And we see them as, as vows and, and every person has got a just infinite richness to them that we can never fully know. And, and, and so thus, the more I, I can appreciate the complexities and nuances of real life in my preaching, the more you know, rich this text is and more powerful it's going to come across to people. So, for example, how do you preach forgiveness to an audience that has people in it who've been abused as children, maybe by their parents? Or how do you preach joy to someone who's carrying traumatic grief uh, from a suicide of a family member recently? Or or, or consider, you know, how do you bring Philippians 4.1, rejoice in the Lord always? And that's certainly true, isn't it? But it doesn't minimize the fact that we have a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations, and two-thirds of the Psalms are laments. And how do I rejoice when I'm grieving and I've just lost someone I love, or a spouse just divorced me, or my kid, one of my children have run away from home? How do I do that? How do I grieve and lament and rejoice at the same time? Uh, and, and, so, and then you're, so you're thinking about those kind of complexities and nuances, as, again, as best you can on your journey. Uh, because you're going to get better with it over time. That's the beauty, isn't it? The, the older you get, uh, as you're faithful to Jesus and in Scripture and working on these things, you're, you, you get stronger and uh, better and more effective. Uh, and you're thinking through, oh, you got people out there who are two working parents and with small kids at home, and they're really, life is cramped. Well, how do they do silence? You know, How do you do solitude? How do you do Sabbath in those situations? And what about students who are overwhelmed with debt? How do they give financially? How, how, do they, how do they do the stewardship? And how about retirees? How do they uh, do Sabbath? How do they structure their weeks around work and Sabbath uh, when it's unpaid work? And But the idea of setting apart a 24-hour peri- period to stop, rest, delight, and contemplate God. Well, if you're preaching on parenting and family, you're, you're, you're aware and thoughtful about the, the couples in the room that are unable to have children. 
uh, and the pain of that and the anguish of that, and you're not just lunging into an exegesis and quoting truth about parenting. And, uh, you're, you're nuancing it to people's real-life situation. Or, again, a, a series on marriage, you're, you're very sensitive to the fact they're singles uh, in the room or people have been recently divorced. Uh, or you're, you're speaking about whatever, faith and trust, and you're aware of these small business owners who are hanging by a thread. And I was talking with a, one recently and just has not had in a day off in two months and just the enormous pressure of feeling like uh, you know, their business is hanging by a thread and what it means to trust God in his situation. But that, that's, that's the complexity and nuance of, uh, of where people live. That's why if you ever get a chance, whenever you get a chance to visit people at work, and at home, it's just invaluable. You just see people where people are. So I'm not. it's not just simply standing up and speaking truth. It takes sensitivity and empathy about how complicated human life. And again, we're back to, to this is time. That's why all of life is sermon prep. All of reading and movies. and It's our person and then our ability to com, you know, nuance and bring complexity, to some of the complexities of topics and our audience, and thus drive the word home to people. All right, the ninth question is this, am I doing uh, exegesis in, in community? Am I doing exegesis in community? Uh, and maybe you've heard this before, but it's important. Uh, I don't just preach a sermon by myself. I need the input of a some some sense of community. Now, I, I would say at least one or two other people that you can talk to. Now, I had staff on the years I was lead pastor at New Life Fellowship, and uh, my wife served as a, a, a real outside voice and critique for me over years. And because uh, I just didn't always have a whole perspective on a given text or sermon. And, uh, you know, sometimes I didn't like what she said at all. And uh, as I said earlier, it would bring her back to the death stage of a sermon, but it was a gift. Uh, and so based, you know, as I read scripture and based on my own life and experience, there's limits I bring to it. And uh, that's why I recognize that my limitations are always coming to bear on it. And I want to drink from the well of community exegesis whenever I can. And even if I think I got it, uh, I really don't ever get it. And I want to check that out with someone else. And to hear from somebody, that doesn't really make sense to me, Peter. What about this? Or that illustration doesn't work for me. It's just so helpful. So I want to encourage you, have at least one other person with whom you can talk to uh, about your sermon. It's some, you know During that week, uh, time you're preaching, it's just give the gift to yourself. Uh, I know some folks who've got you know preachers from... Uh, different churches they gather every couple of weeks they talk about sermons I think it's a fantastic thing but uh, so I, I would seek that out and then finally is this am I connecting the message to people's long-term formation am I connecting the message to people's long-term formation in other words I'm, I'm preaching uh, I, I, I love preaching I believe in preaching but I also accept and embrace the limits of preaching uh, preaching doesn't change people I mean it's part of the way God changes people it's part of their formation, but it is not enough. It's a part of a larger whole that includes a community, includes uh, you know, fellowship, includes worship, it includes prayer, it includes the whole life of a community. And I don't want people living off my sermons or spirituality. They need more than that. Uh, many people in our churches who come to Christ are living off other pastors' spirituality, books and tapes and sermons. And they're not cultivating their own relationship with Jesus and they're on spiritual autopilot. And what's sad is some of these folks just naturally, because they're serving and active, they become leaders and elders and deacons in our churches. And uh, and again, sermons are important. They do create culture and context, do a lot of good things. But I want to be thinking about 
the long-term formation of the people with whom I'm preaching. And so there's multiple ways to do that. Uh, one is how you maybe even creatively in your sermon do some different things. Like I began to close sermons, not all the time, but sometimes with a verse of scripture, maybe for a minute around the text and teach people about meditating on a verse uh, or some taking stillness and silence for 30 seconds or, or a minute or doing a little exercise on, on, on part of that sermon on how do I discern God's will? Consolations and desolations coming out of Ignatius. And uh, I've done it with a thousand people in a room. Uh, I've broken people up into groups of two at times, but just ways to get people engaged in the actual doing of it. Uh, and perhaps more importantly, as I'm preaching, and again, I'm doing it, I'm talking within a concept of a local church, I try to connect it to long term formation in terms of, I'm thinking about the larger church program. So if I'm doing a series, for example, on bonding or relationships out of, say, Genesis 2 and 3, uh, I may take an evening uh, to just, and Sunday evening, and, and introduce two skills from the Emotional Ideal Relations course, like um, commuter temperature reading and maybe um, explore the iceberg. And just to kind of give people a taste of what's involved in getting discipled in doing our relationships differently. Then, of course, I want to point them to the course, the Emotional Other Relationships course, to begin to be discipled on how to bond with people uh, emotionally, be emotionally close and physically, have physical touch that's appropriate. Uh, we might do a workshop on a genogram, for example, on your fam- on family of origin, how it impacts who we are today. And again, introducing it, exposing people, a large group of people to, to it, and then moving them into, again, you've got small groups, you've got workshops, uh, and then the course, always the discipleship course, or, or offering a day alone with God. How do you structure a, a, a Saturday? Or I may go to a retreat center, and how do I do some silence and, and, and maybe bring them back every couple of hours and give them a question? And, or, or knowing yourself that you may know God, maybe doing an Enneagram workshop you know, opportunity. But I'm always driving people in their discipleship of following Jesus. So they're growing up, and I'm I, thinking through and adjusting strategy around the message themes uh, where possible to do little things that get them moving along in their formation. But again, I, I'm, I'm always thinking about people's long-term formation because that's really what we're about. Is That's where, to me, messages fit in. So before I make a final few comments, let me just invite you to, to, to slow down because all this is about slowing down. And let me just review the 10 one more time before I go into my four final comments. The first is this. Here, here's the, the 10 distinctives of emotionally healthy preaching. First is, am I preaching for Jesus out of a life of being with him? Secondly is, am I present to myself and to the people in the room? Number three is, am I allowing the text to intersect with my family of origin and culture? Number four, am I preaching out of my vulnerability and weakness? Number five, am I allowing the text to transform me? Six, am I surrendering to Christ's process of birth, death, and resurrection? Number seven, am I making time to think through clear, specific applications? Eight, am I thinking through the complexities and nuances of my topic and audience? Number nine, am I doing exegesis in community? And number 10, am I connecting the message to people's long-term formation? I'll add, whenever possible. So let me make my, my, my final comments here, number four, and, and four, four of them here. Uh, and uh, they're important, and I, they're kind of on top of these 10 questions to ask. <clears throat> uh, let me again summarize. Number one, the greatest gift you can give your church 
is for you, you to walk with Jesus. It's not what we say that's most important. It's who we are. What's most important when you stand behind that uh, pulpit or whatever music stand, whatever you're standing up, whatever context you're in, is is your person. So it's a, it's a life work. And so when you're working when you're following Jesus and, and your own engagement of following Jesus, you are doing sermon prep because it's you. And that's why I encourage pastors uh, themselves. <clears throat> and I know it doesn't matter the size of your church. Uh, you teach the EH discipleship course, part one and part two. Uh, you actually teach it for yourself uh, in, a, in, a, in a small pilot and get trained how to do it. You know, download the kit, get trained in it and actually pilot it because you're, you're doing it for you. And maybe you're not going to run it for your whole church and be the point person, but in your own, it's going to deepen your own discipleship. Uh, and that's going to thus indirectly inform your preaching in every uh, way. And so uh, you definitely want to look that up on our website and, and download that kit and, and, and do it for yourself. But work on you. It's the greatest gift you can give your people. Number two relates to team preaching. I didn't understand team preaching really in my early years, and I didn't do it for the first 15 years. Uh, I wish I had done it earlier. I consider it one of the larger uh, mistakes I made. I used to do 45 to 47 weeks a year in the early years, and I went down to 43, And uh, but eventually moved to team preaching, and boy, it was better for the church, and it was better, of course, for me. It was so good they heard other voices. Uh, in a sense, there was an unhealthy dependence on me, but I needed to get over the hurdle of this. Uh, I, I wouldn't consider myself a, uh, you know, a great preacher or you know one of the top in the country some great preachers around and uh, but I, so I didn't trust myself to actually develop other communicators which was a mistake uh, you know if you're the lead pastor there or you're, you're, you're leading uh, you can develop other people uh, and I realized oh I, I could do that I'm still a lead pastor and and that if they're going to be teaching uh, in the pulpit that I'm responsible for under the leadership of the board, uh, then they're under my leadership. And so there is a, a sense where I want to give them freedom, but it's not a free-for-all either. And so if they're not open to my input, this is probably not the right place for them to be preaching. Uh, I don't care. If they're guests, they need to be open and under my leadership. If I go preach in a church, I'm under the lead pastor and the board's uh, leadership. The amount of time I preach, and I'm very sensitive to that. I, I believe in spiritual authority. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't think I was okay with being, in fact, oh, I'm the leader here. And and I would look for people who have a, a gifting and a sense of a call and desire and, and develop them, uh, resource them, uh, invest the time in it. You'll be so glad you did. Even if you're a small church, you say, oh, Pete, we're only, you know, 60 people. I would ask God, who are maybe, who is maybe one of the person that may have a uh, gift or a calling and figure out some small venues to give them opportunities. And But if you invest the time in it, I think you're going to be surprised. Uh, again, people in our Churches, they want to hear from God. Uh, and so if they're hearing from God, it can God, it can be a frog, all right? It, they're happy. That's what I realized over the years that, uh, you know, I, it's not me. It's Jesus they want to hear from. And if we can help people bring a word from Jesus uh, out of their own brokenness and vulnerability, uh, our people are going to be well served. Uh, and the truth is they're going to hear other preachers eventually anyway. All right, so team preaching, uh, I, would, I would really encourage you to do that. The third uh, little comment here I want to make is I want to invite you to steal sermons uh, from anybody you can, especially me. Uh, just don't use my name. Let me explain that. 
uh, I think it's really good to listen to other people's sermons and you can get some good ideas and insights. Uh, some, occasionally, you may even get a great outline that you can use. I, I think it's normal, especially when you're starting out. Uh, and it's healthy, really. You're developing your own style. You're kind of getting comfortable in your own skin. Uh, but the key is this. I, I, as I say to people, uh, any sermon uh, any sermon that I've ever preached, okay, and, and uh, again, we have a sermon store, and you can look at hundreds of them. You're welcome to take whatever you like of anything I've preached, uh, but it must become a revelation to you, not just head knowledge. That's the key. In other words, if you hear something that re- becomes a revelation from God for you, then it's yours. And then you bring it to your context uh, as from the Lord. Now, let, let me give you a, a biblical base for this. Uh, in the word biblical commentaries, uh, in the commentary on Ezekiel, the commentator makes the point, I think his name is Peter Craigie, that Ezekiel drew some of his illustrations from Jeremiah, who preceded him. And he reworked them for his context in exile. And he didn't say, thus says Jeremiah, and now thus says the Lord through me. He just said, thus says the Lord. Uh, they were a revelation to him in the desert in the exile. And he spoke it as thus says the Lord. Uh, in the same way, when you hear something great, so this is fantastic, and it really becomes a revelation to you, and you've, had, you've taken the time to let it get into you, then you want to say, is it's coming through your personality, it's coming to your particular context, you know, thus says the Lord. Uh, and, you know, I, I, not that we don't quote other people, but we don't want to always be quoting other people. We want the word of God to pass through our life. And uh, I definitely give you permission to use anything from any sermon I've got uh, and uh, just make sure it's yours. And uh, do, not, do not use my name. It's not necessary. Because, again, the greatest gift you can give your church is your walk with Jesus. Uh, and the greatest gift... I'm giving the church and you're giving the church is letting Jesus transform you. And there's a lot to be transformed in me. I know that. And it's not what we say that's most important. It's ha- it's not even how we say it. It's us. It's who we are. Uh, so go for it. And then finally this. If you preach regularly, you need sabbaticals. Now, a sabbatical is a longer period of time to stop your work, to rest the soil Delight in God receiving nutrients from the soil. Think of Israel having a year off and the, the land would be fallow so God could replace nutrients in it so that it could then bear greater fruit later. So you can study, learn, and reflect. It's, preaching is a large responsibility. It's an incredible calling. It's a gift. It's an honor. In the name of Jesus, we get to speak and shape people's lives. I mean, what other profession is there in life like persons speaking for Jesus in a pulpit and folks are sitting there listening for 30 20 to 30 to 40 minutes, uh, it's unbelievable. And so to do this over years and decades, um, it's so critical that you have time to study and to think and reflect and and rest. So you need study weeks, I would say, on on an annual basis, time and and days to read. But you need, you deserve, you're going to make it long-term. Your preaching will be transformed that you have sabbaticals. I'm talking about a three- to four-month block, maybe every seven to eight years. Uh, I am taking my fourth sabbatical this summer, and uh, and they have shaped me. They have shaped me and moved me forward in significant ways beyond just taking a week here or a week there. Uh, and it's not that you're preparing sermons. You're letting God prepare you. That's the beauty of it. So uh, please, uh, you are worth it, and you're human, 
and you just can't suck energy from that. It's in, it's inhuman to be preaching 30, 40, 50 years without that those kind of sabbatical breaks to let the soil just rest. And God can do things when we're resting that can happen no other way. So again, uh, I'm going to encourage you, you know, teach the EH Discipleship course, get into that material for your own lives, part one and two, apply it to your life deeply, go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash lead, uh, pick up that training and just do it for yourself. Uh, let it sink deep in you uh, and then let it inform your preaching very naturally. So let me pray for you as we close here. And uh, it's just been so good to be with you. And I, I pray these have been helpful to you and not being the final word on preaching, but hopefully a, another addition to you becoming the kind of person that offers a gift of yourself uh, through scripture uh, to the people that you serve. So as David prayed, I pray for you in Psalm 27. May the Lord, uh, may, may you seek, may, may you say as David, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon his beauty and to seek him in his temple. May that be your life passion to know him, to seek him, to see his face. And may your life be one of communion with the living Jesus, and out of which you then preach and you teach and you bring Jesus to those you serve. And may the yoke be easy and not hard and heavy. Uh, and may you experience the delight of Jesus uh, in doing it as a human being, not a perfect, not perfect, but offering your loaves and fishes each week as your gift back to Jesus for the people he's called you to serve. So God bless you. And uh, you have a wonderful day. It's been wonderful to be with you. Have a good day. Bye-bye.